and lead them. So as you are standing and turning in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 16, we will see what thus saith the Lord. The book of Psalm chapter 16 beginning at verse 1. The inspired word of God says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to show. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence. There is fullness of joy. And at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. May God bless the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his help as we are in, instructed by his word. Father, we come to you once again pleading nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because that is the only thing that gives us access to you. We thank you for his shed blood and his sacrificial death that he was willing to go through on our behalf. He took our place and ransomed us from the kingdom of darkness. And called us to himself. So for that Lord we say thank you. And it is upon that truth. We come and we ask for your help. We ask that you will teach us through your word. Enlighten our eyes that we may see. The goodness and the beauty of who you are. Help us to cast our cares on you. Knowing that you care for us. Lord, be 
with us all as we apply this word to our hearts. Allow us to be faithful stewards of this life that you've given us. Be with your speaker, Lord, that he will speak your truth and he will proclaim your word without fear and with boldness and confidence that only comes from your spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of the things that we become aware of even at a young age is that the pursuit of instant satisfaction or instant gratification oftentimes in and ends in sorrow disappointment and depression and this is something that is very uh, characteristic of adolescence uh, I remember back when I was younger and I had a thing for ice cream and uh, one of the things that I used to like to do is to take the whole uh, thing of ice cream and, and just eat it to my full. And my parents, they had to continuously tell me that uh, you can't continue to eat ice cream in this way thinking that you will gain satisfaction because in the end it will end in sickness and pain and sorrow but me as a adolescent as, as many of us have been I, I looked at it and you know the, the, the first few times you know I got sick and so those first few times I, I was getting sick out of ignorance but after that, I began to rationalize and say, you know what? I am so addicted to the pleasure that I receive from this ice cream that I'm willing to face the consequences in order to uh, receive that pleasure that I've received from this treat. And this is something that is characteristic of adolescence, but if we're honest, on a much greater and more sophisticated level, uh, we have people who are advanced in years but are still adolescent uh, spiritually. That we sometimes look to things that uh, are unable to satisfy us, and because of the enjoyment, because of the pleasure that we receive in whatever that activity may be or that consumption may be, uh, we oftentimes will settle for that instant gratification rather than that lasting satisfaction. And so... What I want to speak with you all this morning about is that we, we live in a world where many people are depressed. 
They are going through a lot of pain and dissatisfaction. And many times we see examples in this world of people who have vast amounts of the things that we think would make us happy. And they oftentimes end up being some of the most depressed people that there is. And we ought to learn a lesson from this, just as we should have learned when we were younger children, that the things that we may assume will satisfy us are unable to bring that fulfillment. And so what I want us to see is that we should put our hope in God because he is the only one who can satisfy our, our eternal needs. We should put our hope not in the things of this world, but in God. Because he is the only one that can satisfy our eternal needs. We see the storyline of scripture that when God created man, he created us with a capacity to be in relationship with him. However, uh, man, because of his disobedience, he sinned against God and he ended up having his relationship with God severed. God separated from him. And because of this separation, it left a void within man. It left uh, a space within man that at one time was filled by a eternal being. And so this may explain to us why, that while we are seeking satisfaction in the things of this world, we continue to pour those things into ourselves, but they end up being like a black hole, just swallowing those things up but never really quenching our spiritual thirst. And so the psalmist here gives us a great example. If you were to peruse your way through the Psalms, you will see that it's possible that someone who was, you know, a doctor or a psychiatrist or something would look at the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of the psalmist's uh, writings, they would say that he was emotionally unstable. But one thing that this does for us is to know that, that we have somewhere to turn when we are going through. And that we can see that there are men and women of God who are going through and who have been through the same things that we have gone through. But the thing that sustained David from going over the edge, the thing that kept him grounded is his trust in God. And for that reason, we should commit our hope to God alone. We should commit our hope 
to God alone. If you look at verse 1 in our text here, it says, Preserve me, O God. Preserve me, O God. This is a cry from David to the only one who could deliver him from his trouble. And so we see from the life of, of David is that, that, that he recognized that if he was going to make it through, if he was going to be sustained, he had to turn to the eternal one. He had to turn to the one who was able and who was willing to satisfy and protect him from all the things that he may be facing in this world. And this is quite an interesting feat that when we think of life, that, that God oftentimes allows things to come into our life that strips us of all hope in this world and forces us to turn only to him because he's the only one there. And so sometimes we may be going through in our lives and we're wondering what's going on, but what God is really trying to do is get you to see that, 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 that you may look to your friends, but then you find out that you have burnt bridges with them. And, and then you may look to your parents, but they may necess not necessarily be there for you. And you may look into your bank account and you see that it says zero. So God wants you to look up to him and say that, God, I, I turn to you because you are the only one there. You're the only one that I can turn to. You're the only one who is always there. And this is what the, 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 the scripture is saying. Is that He says that even if your mother and your father could forsake you, as, as, as drastic of a situation as that could be, as, 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 as unthinkable of a situation as that could be, the Bible is saying that God's love for us even extends to a higher degree than our own parents. And so when we are going through in our lives, that's to teach us that, yes, we should look to our parents sometimes, but ultimately we need to be looking to God. Because he is the one who can deliver us and he is the one who is our present help in a time of need. And so we see that the psalmist here uh, put his faith in God and therefore we should put our faith in God when we are facing trials and tribulations in his life. It says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And we know from the word refuge here, refuge is a place where you flee from imminent danger. Refuge is a place of safety. Refuge, if you look at it in uh, potentially uh, military terms, it's like a bunker. Or it's like, it's like a place of safety where you can go and you know that although war may be going on all around me, I can go to this one place of refuge where I will be covered by the protection of this particular place. And so... The psalmist is looking at God and saying that, Lord, I take refuge in you. This is another way of saying, God, I got my faith in you. But how do we know how this faith 
looks. We recognize that this, this faith has uh, both a vertical and a horizontal effect, uh, effect on our relationships. If you look at uh, verse 2, it says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Now, this is quite a complex issue here, but to, to simplify it as much as I can, that in the original language, the, the ancient scribes, when they, 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 they looked at the divine name of God with such reverence that they would not speak the name. And so when they came across, when they were copying the scriptures onto a different manuscript, and they saw the name, the divine name of God, instead of saying that name, they would substitute the name Adonai, which means Lord, there in, in its place. And what has happened through our translations here, the way that this, uh, this, this truth is conveyed is that in our English translations, when you see the word Lord in all caps, that is referring to the divine name of God. So in the original language, it, it's a word that means, that, that stands for the divine name of God, which is Yahweh. And so in this particular text here, I know in the English language, it looks like it's a little redundant and it says, Lord, you are my Lord. But in all actuality, in the original language, it would say something to the effect of, I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. So it's saying that I say to you, God, you are my Lord. You are my master. So it is specifying the God in whom it is referring to. That he's saying that I'm not talking about a God in general. I'm talking about you, Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And I'm saying to you, Lord, you are my Lord. You are my master. This is a statement of faith. He's essentially saying, yes, the one true God, you are my master. I submit to you. And so what true faith looks like is looking at the true God for who he is and saying to him, Lord, you are my master. And not just saying that, but living in that way. And that means that when he says for me to do something, I act as if he's my master and I do it. And so this is what the declaration of leaning on the Lord is looking like for David here. When he's calling on the name of God, he's recognizing that he is the one that I have relationship with. That, that, that you are my Lord. So he's not speaking from a distance of somebody who just wants to use God for his blessings. He's one that is in relationship with God. And saying, Lord, I have surrendered myself to you and I'm calling on you. And so this changes our vertical relationship, but it also changes our horizontal relationships as well. And we see this in verse 3. It says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. And get this, you know that you know this didn't come from a Baptist congregate. He says, in whom is all my delight? 
He says that the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. In whom is my delight? Essentially what he's saying is that he is, uh, he, he finds pleasure in being among the people of God. He desires to be among the people of God. We show our trust in God, not only in our relationship with him, but in our relationship with the saints. And so you have to ask yourself, can you say along with the psalmist that when you come to forest, these are the excellent ones in whom is your delight. Can you say that with a straight face? And so we, we see that, that, that if we call on the Lord for who he truly is, that means there must be a change in our relationships both with him and with others. And so my question for you this morning is do you trust in God to preserve you? Because that trust in God to preserve you is not separated from your relationship with him. You have to be in relationship with him to trust in him for his deliverance. And if, if we're not trusting in God, you know, God, he, you know, he, he's kind enough to let us know the results or the outcome of what happens when you don't trust in him. And so we recognize that those who hope in other things receive much sorrow. And we see this in our text in, in verse 4. It says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. So the point is, is that not only will you not find the satisfaction that you're looking for when you're searching for these things uh, in the club. Or when you're searching for these things in a pipe. Or when you're searching for these things in some pills or in a person. Not only will you not find it. The Bible says that you will multiply your sorrows. So what that means is, is that you, you enter into that pursuit of that other God at one level. But as you pursue it, you end up worse than what you were in the beginning. And so what God is trying to tell you is that if when you pursue these other things, you actually end up worse than you were in the first place. And so this is a warning to us that, that, that we shouldn't serve other gods. Those who replace God with, with money and, and pleasure reap serious consequences of sorrow, pain, disappointment and displeasure and so we don't devote ourselves to what they devote themselves to in the world so when it says that their drink offerings speaking about ritualistic uh, appeasement of these false gods uh, their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips I don't even want to talk about it I don't even want to talk about the things that I used to do when I was in the world, when I was searching for pleasure in the things of this world. Those things are not even worthy to be on my lips unless I'm using them to glorify God. And so the, 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 the psalmist here is telling us that 
not only do we not participate in their acts of devotion to these gods, but I don't even want to talk about that stuff. And so we, we, we must learn as, as believers, as, as those who believe in the name of God and who look to our word for guidance that we should desire God because his presence satisfies. We should de desire God because it is his very presence that satisfies. I, I remember when I was young once again and uh, Christmas time was, was obviously, you know, a, a very, uh, you know, favorable time of the year for me as a kid. Uh, and, you know, I remember those Christmas mornings where I would get up early. Well, after I'd already been bugging my parents to open up uh, the gifts, especially if I kept them up uh, after 12. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's Christmas, so let me get my gifts. But early in the morning, I would wake up my parents and, you know, be begging them, acting like telling them everything that they want to hear just so I can open up my gifts. And when they finally told me that I could open up my gifts, I forgot all about my parents. I didn't care anything about them. I just wanted those gifts. And, and we need to see that sometimes that we could be so selfish and so self-centered that we can forget about the gift giver while being wrapped up in the gift. But notice what the psalmist says here, that the gift of salvation is God himself. It's not something else other than God. See, we always looking for things other than God, but it's God himself. Look at verse 5. It says, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. This is using language that the people of this time would have been more aware of. And so this is a language of inheritance. This is a language that is referring to what a child would receive uh, upon the death or maybe even a little bit before the death of their family, their, 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 their parents. That this is a portion of the goods that their parents left for them in order for them to uh, take with them and consume. And so what the, the psalmist here is, is telling us is that the Lord, is my chosen portion. The Lord is my portion. It's not what he can give me. It's who is it's him himself. Might we have a time or a revival in our churches when we have young people who turn to their parents and say, Mother and Father, I, I, I'm thankful for the things that you've given me materially. I thank you for the life that you've given me. But the thing that I really want for you to pass down to me is the Lord. I want the Lord as my portion. Give me the Lord as my inheritance. You can keep all the material things that you have, but the Lord is the portion that I desire. He is my choice portion. That is what I want. This is the gift that I desire. And so... David teaches us that, that those who receive God are satisfied. 
we chase after these other gods and these other things for satisfaction, we, we come up empty. But when we choose God and when we pursue him, we are satisfied. If you look in verse 6, it says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is once again using the language that is common in this particular culture that inheritances oftentimes uh, revolve around land. And so what is being stated here is that the, the, the lines, the, the, the boundaries of the land that has been given to me have been drawn out in pleasant places. Meaning that this isn't that rugged, uh, uh, this isn't that rugged land that, that can't do nothing with. This is that good land. This is that good stuff. And so what the psalmist is saying is that when he receives the portion that the Lord has given him, he is satisfied with what he has received. He said, it has fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So the one who turns to the Lord, the one who looks to him for satisfaction is filled. They are satisfied. And he satisfies us. But, but notice also that, that intimacy with God grants us access to all those other benefits. You see, in verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. Then he points out, he says, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So what the psalmist is saying is that because I have come in relationship with God, I have received the, 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 the benefit of a strong foundation of protection, of love, of peace, of, of, of mercy, of, of joy, of deliverance. And, and I just stopped by this morning to let you know that you might be looking at all these other things to, to give you what you want, but, but sometimes just having God on your side will give you all the things that you ever asked for or thought anyway. That's the beautiful thing about the Lord. That we're looking for satisfaction, we're looking for joy, and we're looking for these things in, in other areas. But God says, just take of me, and I will satisfy you. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who takes me will never die. This is the promise that we receive when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. When we allow him to take hold of our lives and, 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 and that comes with residual effects. That, that just because I'm with him, I get these blessings. It says, it says surely uh, goodness and mercy will be chasing you around all the days of your life. That's part of the inheritance of those who place their faith in him. And just because you with him. You get rain where everywhere else is drought. You get comfort in a time of discomfort. 
You get peace when everything else is chaos around you. These are the benefits that come with aligning yourself with the Lord. Because he is able and he takes care of those who place their faith in him. Finally, we see that we should have confidence in our God for eternal joy. The things that we face in this life and the things that we take hold of, they give pleasure for a short amount of time. But the thing that, that, that oftentimes causes people to go down that spiral uh, into depression is because once they have received the thing that they thought would give them their everything, and they still feel empty. And they figure out they've, they've essentially wasted their life. And they're saying that, wow, if, if this can't satisfy me, what can? But the Bible tells us who can. And his name is Jesus. And so our hope is in the resurrection. Our hope is in the resurrection. God gives us a hope that even the grave doesn't have power to steal. This is what we have to see. If you look at verse 9 and 10, it says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I'm good. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. So David takes on a, 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 a holy swagger. He said that, look, I'm good. I got the Lord on my side. Look, I, look I'm, I'm, I'm straight. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I'm good. I'm not worried about anything. You want to know why? Because my God is the God of the resurrection. He holds life in his hand. And so when you have somebody on your side uh, who has that type of power, it kind of gives you a, a, you know, a, you know, a little holy swag. Makes you walk a little bit different when you're going through your troubles. Everybody think you think you limping, but what you're really doing, you're walking with a little buck, telling everybody, I got the Lord on my side. I'm, I'm secure. My flesh is secure. And he says that you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. I know that death is not the end for me. There's going to be something that happens after death. He says you will not let your Holy One see corruption. This was used in the New Testament times to point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and this was applied to Jesus from his holy apostles showing that this is a promise of resurrection. And that promise of resurrection that Jesus, uh, that was applied to Jesus, has also been applied to us as well. That this promise now applies to us. That, that, that he will not abandon our soul in Sheol. This is a word that simply refers to the place of the dead. Where dead people go. And so what the point of the passage here is that death isn't the end. He says that those who believe in me will never die and those who have died will live who place their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And this should give us great comfort. But we also see that, that God is the giver of all joy. He's the giver of all joy. We see this in verse 11. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness, fullness of joy. He's saying that it's not a half, it's not a, a, a cup half full. This is a cup in the overflow. That, that, that when I am in relationship with Jesus, I have fullness of joy. Jesus said himself that I, I, I've come that I may give you life. And he says that this will bring him joy and that he came to make our joy full as well. This is what relationship with Jesus brings to us is fullness of joy. If you're, look, if you're lacking in joy in your life, what you need to do is get, is get closer to the uh, the one who feels joy. He doesn't just give joy. He fills you with joy. He presses it down in you with, with, with so much that you don't even have room to receive it. This is the joy that the Lord promises those. And, it, and this means that even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of suffering, God, have, God has has given to us the fullness of joy that is able to sustain us even in the worst of circumstances. But this joy is not just full. We also see that God gives us eternal joy. And we see this in the latter half of, of verse 11. It says, you, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is unending joy. Unending pleasure. Unending. This is pleasure that the grave can't take away from you. This is, this is pleasure that's going to be received when, when, when death no longer has his sting on you. When, when death no longer has his hold on you, this is the type of joy that the Lord promises to us. Because the things that we receive in this life now that we hold on to, all it takes is a snap of a finger and it ends. But the joy that the Lord promises us and that we need to hold on to that is an eternal joy is a joy that is from the Lord. And this is what he gives his servants. So you might be here today and you are struggling with depression. You're, you're seeing all the things that are happening within our culture and you're depressed and, and your, your emotions are going in, in all different directions. And I don't, I don't want to make light of uh, the biological things that may be going on with you. Take those things seriously. Uh, if, if, you know, it may be a both and that you need to uh, seek spiritual as well as uh, medical help. So I'm not minimizing that, but what I do want to tell you is that when you turn to the Lord, he will give you joy. He will give you peace. And so if you're here today and you may be struggling with something that 
It may be easy for you to cover it up with a smile here on Sunday morning. I want to point you to Jesus, the one who gives us the fullness of joy. You may be struggling because of problems in your, in your marriage or problems in your relationship. Or maybe you're even single and you're struggling with that. I want to point you to the one who gives the fullness of joy. You may be struggling with the loss of a loved one or maybe a loved one that uh, is going through a trial right now that you can't help them with. I want to point you to the one who gives the fullness of joy. And so if you have not turned to Jesus, he is the one who can deliver you. He is the one who can save you. He is the portion that God promises us. And that satisfies us. And that is enough. And so look to Jesus and not to this world for your satisfaction. Let us pray.